0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: So I'm a casual academic at the university. And I have found that unions, in my own experience, have been really helpful because there have been times where I've had to try to advocate for better conditions or to feel less exploited. And the union has really helped me with that. And I feel like there are a lot of occasions where I wouldn't even know where to start trying to make my own working conditions better.
2: I was a member of a union and to be honest, I didn't find it particularly empowering uh, when it came to actually, you know, responding to an onerous employer. But certainly I I got involved with the more so uh, upon getting into this food delivery work. I found it quite empowering Typically unions have not felt that, you know, there's been much empowerment and especially in the current climate, you know, conservative governments and and unions on the way in generally, it's quite good. What do you think? Is being a member of the union important to you or do you think that they're a relic of the past? As we'll hear, union membership has fallen dramatically around the globe. Does this matter? And if so, what needs to be done to arrest the fall? I'm Lisa Leong, and today on This Working Life, the State of the Union. Anthony Forsyth is a Professor of Workplace Law at RMIT, and he's the author of The Future of Unions and Worker Representation, which is coming out in 2022. G'day, Anthony. Hi there, Lisa. Now, in your book, you suggest union membership in Australia, Italy, and the UK and the US have been in decline for three decades. Why do you think that is, Anthony?
0: Well, I think what all these countries have in common is a few factors. The rise of neoliberalism and state hostility to unions, which we saw in an extreme form in the Thatcher era in the UK in the 80s and 90s. Deregulation and the removal of trade union rights that traditionally in Australia form part of our conciliation and arbitration system. Um, With all of that came hardened stances from employers of opposition to unions and we've seen the US union busting model exported all over the world and recently on display in the mega retailer Amazon, shutting down the attempt by a group of workers in Bessemer, Alabama to unionise. So all of these factors have combined with economic restructuring, the changing nature of work in the workplace, decline of manufacturing, and it's been a recipe for the uh, sharp decline in union membership that we've seen in most industrialised countries.
2: And what about in Australia?
0: So from 1976, at around the peak of union membership in Australia, just over half the workforce were union members. And that's a product of our traditional conciliation and arbitration system and the way unions were built into that system and, in a lot of ways, could run closed shops and ensure people. It was almost a default that you joined the union. If we fast forward to last year, the latest ABS figures, we're down to 14.3% of the workforce being union members. It's much higher in the public sector, around 35%. But in the private sector, Um, And this is the really worrying figure for unions in the service industries where employment growth is the strongest. Unions are down to only 9% membership.
2: And Anthony, I was quite surprised to see the difference in union membership rates between professions like teaching and health versus manufacturing and construction. Can you talk us through that?
0: Well, I think what we've seen over the last few decades is significant decline in traditional areas of union strength things like manufacturing, which is now down to union membership of around 11% of that workforce. Um, Construction overall is down to around 10% uh, union membership. But what we've seen also is a significant increase in membership in industries or occupations where there's a strong professional identity. So things like teaching um, in the healthcare sector, nursing would be one of the main examples, which has had really exponential growth from around 130,000 members 20 years ago to nearly 300,000 now.
2: What do you think is driving this change in membership?
0: Those unions have been really successful in ensuring that members have a combination of that professional identity, the career progression, but also excellent outcomes in enterprise bargaining. So for example, the nurses do really well with the pay increases the Nurses' Federation is able to get for its members and also a strong commitment to things beyond, you know, industrial or employment issues but that impact on their work like patient-nurse ratios, which form part of bargaining in most states around Australia for the Nurses' Federation.
2: Anthony, what factors are causing membership to drop in other
0: industries? Oh, well, I think with something like manufacturing, with transport, with logistics and warehousing, there's a whole lot of other things going on there that contribute to falling membership levels. So we've seen waves of outsourcing, the use of labour hire, contracting out, casualisation. So what's happening there is something that um, US Professor David Weil has called the fissuring of work. So it's the distancing of the employing entity or the business that's getting the advantage of people's work from responsibility for their employment entitlements and it's also putting a distance between those businesses and a trade union. It's it's much harder for unions to organise if we take an example of a um, a warehouse where there's multiple labour hire companies providing staff and only a core directly employed workforce. So these kind of phenomena are really also impacting and making it harder for unions to get access to workers in order to recruit and have them join.
2: Someone who'd be watching union member rates very closely is Sally McManus. Sally is secretary of the largest peak body representing workers in Australia, the ACTU. I asked her what's driving the decline in her view.
3: That's happened for a lot of reasons. One of the big reasons is, is it used to be in our country that we encouraged junior membership. So when people started work, employers would happily sign them up to the union. The other thing that's happened is there's been a big structural change. So we've gone from having, you know, large factories to now a lot more service economy. And the final thing that's happened is a huge growth in insecure, casual, you know, gig type work.
2: Now, there were calls to unionise Amazon workers in America recently so that they could have better wages and working conditions, but in the end, the warehouse workers actually voted against unionising. So, what does this say about our relationship with unions?
3: Uh, well, I know a bit about um, Amazon workers and what's gone on over there, and actually, I'm good um, mates with someone in LA who's, who's organising in, in those Amazon places really high turnover of workers in the US, they can just sack you for no reason. Like there's no unfair dismissal laws. And so as soon as someone shows an interest in wanting to support a union, they get rid of them. So there's a massive cost to workers in the US, you know, saying they want to organise Remember, Amazon's run by the richest man in the world, so they've got a huge incentive to to try and crush them. So I think one vote in one place, in one of the hardest places in the world to ever unionise, history doesn't start and end with that. I think that there'll be a continual push for change and for unionising in places like Amazon, and this is just the start. Are you
2: worried in any way that that's the direction some workplaces are headed for in Australia?
3: We have adopted American forms of organisation and it's been simply that companies have found new ways to cut costs. And the Amazon model uh, is, is like an extreme example of how insecure work uh, can work. We've put limits on that to a degree in Australia, but not many actually, like we're not far away from the United States and we've actually got the hot, third highest rate of insecure work in the OECD. So that's out of all the other developed countries. So it, what, what we've got in Australia is not normal.
2: The Australia Talks survey by the ABC found that 47% of young Australians say job security is a problem for them. So how are unions helping insecure workers?
3: For the first time in You know, since we've become industrialized, the generation of young people are inheriting worse conditions than their parents. And so this is living standards going backwards. And I think the case of insecure work is a really clear example of young people being um, treated differently and being much harder hit and affected by what has been this trend. Three decades ago, you know, young people could expect that they would have a secure job and they would have a job that would have sick leave and annual leave and long service leave. And today, young people entering the workforce, you know, can't expect that.
2: How would you sort of foresee the future of unions then adapting to this change?
3: We don't accept that it is right for people who are workers not to have equal rights to every other, you know, worker. And by that, I mean... If you're working for one of the delivery app companies, why should you not have the same rights to the minimum wage, the same rights to uh, workers' compensation, if you're heard, and basic safety uh, rights as every other worker? Um, What's happened effectively is these huge companies have just found a a loophole uh, in the law and used it in order to get out of paying what people should be paid. If we accepted that, we'll end up in a position where really any job that can be broken down to a task and allocated via an app could could be in the same situation. And that's just unacceptable.
2: And so if we continue in this direction, could things like sick leave, holiday pay become a thing of the past?
3: If we allow multinationals to move everything onto apps and to say, "Well, actually, you are your own business now, and you will take instructions via you know the app, and you no longer have sick leave, and you no longer have annual leave, and you no longer have even the minimum wage," we will be back 100 years because it was 100 years ago where people didn't have those basic rights. I don't think that's acceptable. I don't think that you know the average Australian accepts that, and actually. All around the world, workers are not accepting it, and governments are finding ways to, you know, stop or close those loopholes so that um, we don't have uh, a huge leap backwards for our working rights.
2: Secretary of the ACTU, Sally McManus.
3: My name is Dan.
2: I'm a musician and a DJ. It's hard because um, our jobs get cancelled quite regularly, and we only really find out on the day or in the week. I've never thought about joining union. Um, To be honest, I'm not even sure if there is a union I could join.
1: My name's Alex, and I'm a journalist. I feel like every year since I started journalism there's been huge redundancies. I even had to switch roles three times just to stay in the industry. And it felt like the union really couldn't do a lot about it except just write angry letters if the papers that were affected weren't even allowed to strike. And the redundancies were good, I guess, if you were old, but if you were a younger person, you were kind of left with nothing. I kind of just feel like unions are a bit of a spent force. I do think that unions are slightly outdated. There's certain things that, you know, like the weird communist ideology that comes in that makes it feel like if you don't agree with everything that most people are saying, that there's no place for you within a union. So that's something that I think could change. And to protect
2: her identity, Alex's email was read there by This Working Life producer, Cara Jensen-McKinnon. OK, so not much can be gleaned by our sample size of three, but I did hear a theme there and I asked Professor Anthony Forsythe how the younger workers view unions and what else needs to change.
0: It's really interesting, the membership up, take, Lisa, is really low. So we're looking at between 5 and 9% of under 25s being in trade unions. What I think is interesting is the opportunity that is presented for unions by young workers. And the opportunity lies in the fact that there can be a tendency to think of younger people as a bit apathetic and a bit disengaged. But what we've seen all around the world with school strike for climate and for other similar causes, Black Lives Matter in the US, is that young people are incredibly politically engaged. And the opportunity there for unions is to translate that into activism at the workplace level. But unions, they have to make a big effort to make that occur. And I've looked at a a few examples here and overseas of unions that are doing quite well, in making that effort. Uh, So for example, the Trades Hall Council here in Victoria a few years ago set up its Young Workers Centre. So a a specially devoted legal centre to assist young workers in dealing with the problems and issues that they come across in their employment. Um, A lot of them are in casual work. A lot of them are working in the gig economy. So that's another huge area where big challenges have been presented to unions in the last uh, five or six years. But I think there are some really good examples of unions that are reaching out to hard to organise groups like young workers and having some success.
2: And if the younger generation are still politically motivated, but they're not joining the unions in those numbers, can you put that to anything in particular?
0: Definitely. I think there's a tendency, well, one thing is perhaps young people don't even really think about unions. It just doesn't come into their consciousness because they've grown up in an era where unions haven't been around, uh, haven't been as visible, their parents probably aren't union members, whereas in the past that was almost a default, depending on the type of work. So there's a difficulty for unions in that they're probably seen as a bit remote, a bit of a relic of the past, a bit of the stereotype of the blue-collar worker, and a young person might just think, certainly in one of the papers, policy papers I came across from one of the UK think tanks the comment from younger workers was they're just not for us we don't understand it we don't see why we need it but there's also some thinking around including from the actu here and some of the policy work they're doing is that people who are younger will be drawn to unions if they can see two things one is a value proposition that it's going to improve their working lives and their situation, but also that it advances a cause that they believe in. So this is where the thing I talked about earlier in terms of school strike for climate and consciousness of young workers about political issues comes in. They will join a union if it's going to represent to them as something that achieves goals and values and causes that they believe in.
2: What do you think might be filling the void then in terms of could social media, for example be um, playing a role here?
0: Yeah, and look, this is where some of the more savvy unions here and overseas have have got onto this. So using social media and really flipping what is a union, what does it look like? Is it a traditional full-fee membership model where I get all the services and I pay something like $800 a year that perhaps I don't really want to spend that money or is it something that is in a different form, maybe even a digital form, that I can access at a lower membership rate and maybe get some of those services, the ones that I think I need? So, a really good example is HOSPO Voice. That's a product of the United Workers Union here in Australia. And they've essentially reinvented what a union looks like. So, you download an app um, as a hospitality worker in a cafe. And you get access to services through the app like checking your pay rates, getting a form letter from the union where you want to dispute your underpayment from your employer, getting support in relation to if you think you're at risk of being sexually harassed or that's actually happened to you. You can get services from the union through that modified digital form of membership. So it's like an entry point. You might then having access those services and be satisfied with them, decide, okay, well, I want to take the next step. I'll become a full member of the United Workers Union. So those kind of pilots are really important and show that some unions in Australia understand the need to move away from traditional models.
2: Oh, that's fascinating. Now, Anthony, is there anything else you think that unions might do to survive?
0: Yeah, well, I think that kind of reinvention of what a union looks like is really important. We see it also in the US. So the fight for $15 movement, which is really about saying to, again, young workers predominantly, or many, not just young workers, but people from all sorts of different backgrounds in the fast food industry, for example, really saying, we'll use social media, we'll use direct action campaigning, we'll do short sharp walkouts from mcdonald's stores in order to campaign nationally to increase the minimum wage in the us so the us labor law road of negotiating a collective agreement in the amazon type example of trying to get recognized for bargaining that's too difficult for so many workers and so many unions so this more direct action kind of approach engaging with community groups faith-based groups to achieve outcomes And winning the $15 minimum wage from many US employers and through increases in the rate at state and local level under state and local laws, that's been a really effective option and one that I think Australian unions can look to as well.
2: Another interesting approach comes from the German manufacturing industry. There they appoint workers' representatives to the board, creating more of a strategic partnership. I asked Sally McManus if this could work here.
3: That tripartism, which does happen in Northern Europe and Germany, has been really, really successful for those countries. And when I say successful, it means that their economies have gone really well and they've shared the benefits of of growth um, more evenly amongst their people. And it's meant that workers have been prepared to make changes because they know that by doing so, that they're going to be looked after and they're going to be supported. So, for example, if a company is deciding they need to introduce technology in order to improve their systems or to be competitive, workers would be involved in all of those discussions. And then what would happen is that existing workers would be trained up in order to be able to to do that new technology and any benefits that the company makes in terms of profits more fairly shared and so it means that you've got all brains working towards a common goal rather than people being against each other like sharing a, a common problem and working out a way forward and workers unions do that because it benefits workers. In Australia we don't have that system and it means it's a much more adversarial system, it means that employers and more about, okay, if we cut costs, well, that's great. That'll increase our profits. And, you know, none of it will go to, to the workers. And we, we don't have any point where we sit down and we talk about common issues. And I think this has meant that we've been really left behind as a country because you're missing out on the intelligence of the workers in, a, in workplaces. So I do think there's a lot of lessons for us to learn as a country that this is a much better way of going about things where you have people bought into the process you benefit from not just the ideas and the expertise but as a society you end up having a a fairer uh, more equal society and unfortunately in Australia we've been going the opposite way for for quite a while now I guess the same 30 years that union membership has declined.
2: Could you try and move more to this type of uh, approach do you think or is that we are we too far gone?
3: (laughs) Well, uh, never say too far gone, but you need uh, willing partners, so you would need business in this country as well as as politicians to say okay we well, 're we're, we're, the way we 've been doing things, which is more the American way, which is basically survival of the fittest, and you know you 've got the the strong and the powerful which have got more and more and more powerful, which are the big multinationals you know, they can do whatever they want. And they would say that's a free market, but that market is so distorted. Like it's not equal bargaining at all in that situation as, as every, you know, person knows who's, who's not a CEO. I think that a big rethink would be a very positive thing for our country.
2: And final words to Anthony Forsyth, who has buried himself in researching unions for his forthcoming book.
0: I definitely think there is... A lot of basis for hope if you believe that unions are necessary in order to ensure workers rights are protected and I do and the hope really lies in something like COVID-19 ironically because the pandemic has illustrated more than anything how much unions are necessary having unions involved in campaigns for example JobKeeper would not have happened without a massive campaign back in March last year by the Australian union movement, protections against, you know, unsafe working conditions, inadequate provision of PPE in workplaces, businesses like commercial laundries, you know, requiring workers to keep working when there was COVID uh, going through the workplace. These are the sorts of roles that unions have played in the pandemic. And it's playing out now with, you know, the ACTU calling for uh, workers to have the right for leave, to get vaccinated, such an important public policy measure that we all need to get through this crisis. So that's the hope, is that unions are able to demonstrate from the role they've played in safeguarding the interests of all workers in this pandemic, that that's a basis for building for the future.
2: Expert in workplace law, Professor Anthony Forsyth from RMIT. And that's it from us. Thanks for your company today. But before I go, can I ask a favour? If your podcast app allows, please leave us a rating and review. We love reading them and it helps us recruit new members to the TWL tribe. Thanks to producers Cara Jensen-McKinnon and Maria Tickle. I'm Lisa Leong and until next week, keep working.
0: You've been listening to an ABC podcast.